Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Injured to Lead podcast. I'm absolutely excited to introduce my guest today, Robert Vanny, physical therapy student at Stony Brook University, former Adelphi University Division II baseball player, and he has an absolutely amazing story. He's from my hometown, island, I should say, Long Island. I uh, went to Chaminade High School, one of the best Catholic high schools on the in the area, and he's going to talk to us today about his journey transitioning out of baseball into physical therapy school, getting his doctorate, and now transitioning back into baseball through a new lens. So Robert, so excited to be here with you, man. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you and I met? Morning, Dave. I'm really glad to be on the show today. So basically, my story is that we met through a mutual friend of mine, my roommate from Adelphi, who was a former minor league pitcher in the Cardinals organization. He put us in touch. Just, you know, we have some common interests, obviously, given baseball and our physical therapy background. And he, you know, I kind of reached out to you, Dave, in order to investigate some opportunities in baseball for those studying physical therapy and exercise science. And it kind of led to this, it culminated to this. I love how social media and technology connects us. So can we can we give him a shout out, you think, Rob? Sure. John Mulford, uh, Mass Diva High School, St. Louis Cardinals, I believe, class, uh, draft class of 2016. Mulford. Mulford is a great kid. And I, I, when I was down there in Jupiter, I would always see him in the hallways and in the training room and getting ready for, to go out there. He's a, he's a right-handed pitcher, right? Correct. And it's always great seeing somebody from the home, you know, the hometown or I keep saying hometown, but you know, home island <laughs> repping, uh, repping us for baseball. Cause baseball is big out here in Long Island, isn't it, Rob? Yeah. Baseball. I mean, in the past 10 years, baseball has grown exponentially here on the island. It always had the stigma, especially in the Northeast of, of not being a baseball area just because you don't have the year round access, but baseball's exploded, especially on the island in terms of draft picks each year and, and college commitments where the well, island's kind of expanding across the country at this point. Right. We might not have the weather of the islands down in the Caribbean, but we we definitely love our baseball out here. You know, baseball is a huge part of the culture with the Mets and the Yankees. I grew up with it. I'm sure you did. So let's let's dive into it and tell everybody out there your baseball story. So my baseball story starts with me in high school. Again, I was uh, at Chamonix High School in Mineola uh, on Long Island. And I was playing as part of a travel organization, Next Level Baseball. They're one of the premier baseball travel organizations in the Northeast. We travel anywhere from Chicago to Marietta, Georgia, Fort Myers. Uh, they run the perfect game circuit as well. Um, and essentially, it's, it's a travel team that helps you get, you know, helps with college placement. So I was academically inclined as a high schooler. And I set my sights high. I was looking at the Ivy League schools and I had the opportunity to, to get in front of the Harvard coach. The Harvard coach at the time was Joe Walsh. She was a friend of me about that. Yeah, yeah, he was a friend of one of our um, assistant coaches at Next Level. So we were hopefully trying to set up, uh, you know, just to just to get in front of him, uh, put his eyes on me. We were actually down in Diamond Nation in Flemington, New Jersey at the time, and unfortunately, uh, Coach Walsh had, you know, had a tragic heart attack and passed away uh, the night before he was supposed to come down for that recruiting trip wow. and that scouting. Which is obviously a shock to, to us, to, to myself, to obviously my assistant coach was very distraught. Um, and that was kind of uh, the beginning of, of a crazy recruiting story for me. Harvard ended up naming uh, an interim coach for the time, but there was 
yeah, obviously some limitations to what he was allowed to do in terms of recruiting. Um, and all while this is going on, my this summer, my junior year, so that's your big recruiting year. And this kind of leaks into the fall. And I have obviously, you know, looked at different schools. So I'm looking D1, D2, D3, just keeping my options open as much as possible. And I was in contact with uh, Trinity College, or a D3 up in Connecticut. Uh, Coach Bill Decker at the time um, was very interested in me. You know, he'd seen me in a couple showcases, heard good things. He was in, in contact with Coach Sean Manning, who was my head coach at Next Level Baseball. So it was a great job with that organization. And I actually currently work for him. So he was in contact with him. And just, you know, the, you know Trinity was, it was a nice program, but it just wasn't the right fit for me. So we're short at the AA, toward the end of early fall, towards about Labor Day, Coach Decker gets named head coach at Harvard. So here wow. I am thinking that I have a shot maybe to go to Harvard because Harvard was interested in me being a right-handed And hitter. now you had no idea that he was going to be named coach in Harvard. Like that came out of nowhere? That, yeah, that came out of nowhere. He was, obviously was a Northeast guy given that Trinity was in, in Connecticut and had a great run, had a really successful program there at Trinity. Okay. Um, so this, this blindsided everyone. So here I am thinking, you know, Harvard has a need, a right-handed hitter, catcher, first base, utility kind of guy. Coach Decker has, you know, an interest. So you played all around the field. Yeah, I was I was the utility guy. I was anywhere from in right field, first base, third base, behind the plate. I was all over the place. Uh, and that kind of that stayed the same, you know, especially once I got to college. I, I settled down more at first base, but I even into my senior year, I played all over the diamond a little bit, tried to diversify. But just jumping back to the story, I'm thinking uh, I have a shot here with, with maybe going to Harvard, you know, they have the head coach who obviously has an interest in me, and, and I thought I had a pretty good resume. Uh, my grades were good, my SAT scores were, were decent enough. For the for the listeners out there that might not be from the area, Chaminade High School. I, I mean, I don't know a ton about Chaminade High School other than it's a top Catholic school. It's got an amazing reputation, but academically, tell tell me tell me what kind of school you went to academically. So I, and I'm sure there's numbers to back this up, but I think it's the most rigorous academic high school on the island or one of the, you know, our top 10% of our class goes to Ivy League schools with one of the top, you know, lacrosse programs in the country as a high school. And a majority of that team gets committed to uh, to quality D1 programs, especially high academic ones. And those that aren't D1 often go to the NESCAC, you know, those those really high quality academic T3s. When you're a student, high school student, is Harvard on the map there for you? Like early on, freshman year, middle school, like it was Harvard, you know, we talk on the podcast about the voice, this little voice in the head with goals. Was was Harvard there? For me, it, it really wasn't, Dave. It really wasn't. You know, I going into Shabbat and knowing the academic reputation, I I was just happy with just passing. And I told my parents, <laughs> I said, you know, mom and dad, I'm going to go. I, re I really want to go, but I don't know. I don't know how this is going to pan out for me. I really don't. And they're like, yeah, you'll be fine. You've always, I've always been a good student. But, uh, right. I wasn't sure. Yeah, when I met you, I, I could see it through you. I mean, clean cut guy. You know, you could be you could be up there with the Yankees, probably in the front office, or you know, maybe uh, <laughs> if they need a utility guy, never know. But you just, I, I, I can see you just have that look and that sound and of somebody that's a go getter, and you remind me a lot of myself when you sent me that initial email, very, very direct about meeting me and talking talking baseball in you know and sports medicine which I appreciated. Here you are on your journey, getting back to that. So let, let's continue the story in terms of Harvard and in terms of the coach from Trinity now being named the Harvard coach. Yeah. So we have the coach named up at Harvard. And this is, again, I just want to give a timeline. This is fall of my senior year. So most of my team is committed already. A lot of them committed you know, early summer and I'm still kind of out there. 
you know, floating offers here and there. But ultimately, you know, I, I get this once Harvard becomes uh, somewhat of a possibility, I'm all in on it. Um, so I get in contact with Coach Decker and he said he's got a couple just some administrative things to work pan out up at Harvard before he can kind of get into the recruiting phase because obviously Harvard is behind the eight ball at this point in terms of, of getting their class for 2014 to come on in. So push comes to shove. It is announced that Harvard has some sort of a, there's a cheating scandal within the athletics community, which impacts variety of sports. I know lacrosse is impacted. Baseball team ends up getting impacted with a couple of starters either getting suspended or, or a couple of them might be dismissed from school. I don't, can't remember the exact details, but uh, it put a limit on the recruiting abilities uh, of the baseball program. And there was a roster crunch going in to that season where I was going to be playing my senior year. Harvard was going to have some issues with players. And essentially what, what I was told is that they were going to look to, you know, to fulfill, they don't fill out their roster with some JUCO kids and maybe some other transfers, some grad transfers, and that I wasn't going to probably be able to to get the support needed from the athletic administration to get into the school. So the so basically the agreement was that so the agreement was that if I was able to get on into the school by myself, just applying through the regular you know population, I would have a, a roster spot. So. I'm here weighing my offers. I'm talking to other schools, so the Quinnipiac University up in the Northeast, sure, Hofstra, Fordham, and I kind of my hometown in, in Garden City, New York, uh, Delphi University is located. They're a D2 program, mm-hmm. and I had done some camps there as a as a kid, and became pretty close with the head coach, Coach Nam Scala. And he sat down with me and he said, you know, I told him my story with Harvard. And he said, if you, you know, if, if you get into Harvard, you go to Harvard. You know, that's a life changing decision and moment for you. Of course. But if not, I would love to, I would love for you to come back and play for me right here at home in Delphi. And he said, you know, he, he would make it worth, worth my while. Uh, had some scholarship money potentially and, and kind of give me, a, you know, some incentives to come and give me a high ceiling. Said, you know, if you, you commit to me and things don't work out there, you got a shot to play as a freshman. So that's all I needed to hear. What was that feeling, your dreams as a high school student from Long Island about to maybe embark on an academic and athletic journey at Harvard, that word, I mean, Harvard, and then transitioning to that other goal? Like this this podcast with you is a lot about transitions. So how did that feel? Like put yourself back in those shoes. Tell me what that was like for you. For me, it was it was a ton of uncertainty. So I'm transitioning from thinking I'm going to Harvard to now considering and going to Adelphi, which obviously is good. Pops ended up at Adelphi, was a great academic, had a great four years there academically and athletically. But the transition, you know, from from the high D one to to the school back home for me, it was almost like a safety blanket. It was it was it was reassuring to know that I was going to have somewhere to go, you know, because at at the time I'm I'm letting other D one D two D three offers flip off the table, you know, every week with another coach. Hey, Rob, you know, I'm sorry, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to move on. We, we signed another guy that's a, a right handed hitter catcher, and you know, and that's tough to to look at and you say, and you're asking yourself constantly, what if, what oh man, should I have taken this offer? You know, should I really go all in on Harvard? Do I, you know, do I continue to wait it out? Uh, you know, am I going to regret this? And, and ultimately, I had there were there were tons of doubts. There were doubts that I was going to have to go maybe to the junior college at one point because there'd be no offers left for me. You you caught yourself and reality kicked in, and and you knew that you still had this dream to play baseball in college. It sounds like, and so you got it going. You're at a Delphi College there with Mulford. You're playing all around the field. You're playing mainly what you said, uh, first base and catching. Mainly first base and catching. Okay, yeah. so you were getting beat up behind the dish. Tell me about what that was like. I mean, a lot of people out there that are not baseball people don't realize catching is is brutal in terms of physically. Tell me about some injuries that you dealt with in college behind the dish. 
So as far as catching behind the dish, it, it's, it is grueling because you look at a college roster and there's 32, 33, 34 guys, and half of those guys are pitchers. So, you know, you think of practice time. Practice time isn't hitting bad in practice, taking ground balls. It's catching bullpen. It's constantly right. getting down, blocking, taking balls off the wrist, taking balls off the chest protector. I would catch bullpens down there in, uh, in Jupiter. All the big league guys, Lance Lynn and Carlos Martinez and Jaime Garcia, those guys who would see me. I would amp them up. I would I would go out there and catch some of the the guys bullpens when uh, it's tough to get a catcher. And so I feel it, man. I never caught besides a few games in my little league career, but I'll tell you, I once got thumbed on a uh, Sam, Sam Tavis. Sam Tavis. I forget where he went to college, but he was drafted by the Cardinals with an elbow injury. I once caught his bullpen. He threw me this 88 mile an hour heavy sinker, and it. <laughs> my former assistant Frankie Diaversa gave me <laughs> gave me a lot of crap. He told me that I starfished and laid on the ground. I know it too well. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, like, what's the, what was the worst injury you dealt with? So the worst injury I had when I was 11, I had a little league elbow. I was a pitcher when I was growing up, and essentially I had epicondylar apophysitis. So for those out there, little leaguer's elbow is your growth plate when you're skeletally immature is basically open and softer. And so it has a certain type of cartilage there that is prone to injury, called like a traction injury almost, so that growth plate can separate and you can get a, a stress fracture through the growth plate or a full fracture through the growth plate or inflammation along that. And so that's what we call little leaguer's elbow. So I ended up getting uh, going to the doctor and they shut me down for 10 months between my 11 and 12 year old seasons, which is your Little League year, your Williamsport year for those that play Little League and follow the Little League World Series. <laughs> Starts at, at that age. <laughs> um, so, you know, and it was it was 10 grueling months of PT. It was it was no throwing. Yeah, it, it's tough for, it's tough for that know, age. For me, baseball was everything. Yeah, baseball was always been everything for me. So being told, you know, you can't play this year, you can't, you know, you can't play fall ball, you can't throw and having to go to PT every day, it wasn't fun. It, it was the more one. I'm already picturing it. 11 year old Rob, you were probably like laser focused already. I'm guessing no horsing around. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just taking, pretty much just taking a guess. But what would you tell 11 year old little Rob with the little league elbow injury? Um, so, you know, if, if I could do it over again and, and kind of pass it forward, I would, I would always stick into the rehab. The rehab is grueling, but you know, I, I, I feel thankful to this day that therapists I work with, orthopedists I worked with at the time, they got me back and they got my career back because I was able to throw again and I wasn't pitching. But you know, just trusting the process and, and 10 months seems so long. Can't participate in gym class uh, for, for six months when they're over doing something that's, you know, like throwing related or overhead. Right. That's no fun for an 11 year old. 11 year old, yeah. You know, yeah. For me, I was always thinking big picture. You know, just, just <laughs> I figured thinking big picture. I figured you're a special person when it comes to your academics and your athletics. And you know, I always say not to not to insult any other players on the field, but let's all be honest, catchers are a special special one on the field, right? Yeah, I mean they're the general for a reason. They uh, you know they control the field, they control the pace of play, they control you know every pitch that's thrown. Absolutely. You know, to continue like what we were talking about there with the eleven-year-old Rob with the little ears elbow. Do you remember like were you fearful when it happened? What do you do you remember the what you were going through in terms of your thoughts? Yeah, I was I was I was really nervous because this is when Tommy John surgery first. It was always it always been around obviously with with Dr. Frank Job and, and Tommy John himself back in the seventies and eighties. But this is when Tommy John first became, you know, really apparent. And we're about 2006. Yeah, we're about 2006, okay. 2007. So okay. Tommy John surgeries, you know, right. we're seeing guys like John Smoltz having it in that mm -hmm. in that time frame. Smoltz was still um, pitching. 
Yeah. And he was beaten up by Max, unfortunately. Uh, you, you and I both, well, 2006, we'll plug this in right here. I grew up a big Met fan. My father, unfortunately, passed away in 2006 and the Mets were playing. I think this is the episode to share this story. When you're there with your little leaguer's elbow, I'll tell you where I was. I was finishing up my undergraduate studies in SUNY Albany. And my father was unfortunately very sick. He uh, he had lung cancer, never smoked a day in his life, but was immunosuppressed because of the medications he had to take after a kidney transplant. His first one was when he was seven, uh, when he was a teenager, which lasted him 27 years. So in any event, that year, the Mets in 2006 were unbelievable. They were really, we taught you and I talked about that. Andy Chavez catch what was like, that's game seven of the NLCS, right? And so that year, I think we all thought the Mets were going to win the World Series since 1986. Like we all thought this is it, right? 20 years later, that was it. Yeah, they were they were built. They were the powerhouse of the other. I never missed a game, but not to make this too much about just baseball itself, but the story here is kind of amazing. So at that time, when my father passed away, I kind of pledged to myself, my family. He died on Thanksgiving of two thousand six, and I pledged to everybody, I'm going to do everything I can to uplift myself and my my goal to become a physician or a physical therapist or work in sports medicine. The time was the goal and hopefully be the Mets PT maybe one day. Jeff Cavalieri was the Mets PT and I would see him stretching Jose Reyes and David Wright on the on the foul line right in right field and I was like, oh, I want to be him. Mm-hmm. That was when back with Shea Stadium was still there. Make a long story short, my father told me after the Mets eventually lose in the NLCS to, lo and behold, the St. Louis Cardinals. He told me it's not going to be the same for a while. The the Mets, after that, collapsed the next few years, and the guy was a baseball genius. I don't know how he knew it. A lot of the listeners out there are like, well, they're, they're the Mets, but he just had this intuition that, that they were going to struggle for a while, and they certainly did. If you fast forward the clock 10 years later, just about nine, 10 years later, I'm sitting in Jupiter at the spring training facility of the Cardinals in the gym. Yadier Molina, a catcher, that's why I'm bringing this up because we're talking about catching and dealing with injuries and so on and so forth. Also the player who hit the game-winning home run in that game and seven. The, exactly. And the guy who catches you know, the last pitch by Adam Wainwright, three-pitch sequence to Carlos Beltran. I still remember it. I think the last pitch was what? Breaking ball or- Breaking, breaking ball. ball looking, right? Yep. Yes, sir. And so I'm talking to Yadier Molina now. Dave is now down there talking to Yadi. I tell him, say, Yadi, I got to tell you a story. You know, because Yadi would come in every day to the facility. He'd be running on the treadmill and he'd be on the treadmill sometimes for an hour. And I, his work ethic is insane. For those of you that don't know about him, he's the real deal. He's sitting on my in my office, training room office, and he's shooting, shooting it with uh, Barry Weinberg, one of the Cardinals. He's a famous athletic trainer and I'm in the the room and we're talking. I said, Yadi, you know, I have to tell you a story. And I said, in 2006, when you and Wayno struck out Beltran, I took my dorm room chair and I threw it across the room. And (laughs) now you're sitting on my chair in my office and I can't believe how things came full circle. It, It was a crazy experience for me to tell him that and then to be able to build a relationship with Yadi over the years and all the other players. I mean- Talk about dreams and everything. So back to your story and kind of getting towards 
wrapping this up. Here you are in PT school. How's that experience been? Good? It's been absolutely phenomenal. That's been two great years in Sunnybrook so far. Uh, and I'm really excited to, to see where my clinicals take me over the next uh, about 10 months. Here's somebody that's been playing the game his whole life, dealt with injuries when he was 11 years old, throughout his college career at Delphi. You know, we talk a lot about transitioning out of the game of baseball at a high level, even high school and collegiate baseball. It's tough. You know, I've even talked to some people, but in a lot of ways, there is almost this element of PTSD that some people even go through because it's it can be traumatic going through all of the experiences, pushing your body and pushing your mind and everything towards these physical goals, and then to go out of it. And so you took yourself, you put yourself into getting your doctorate in physical therapy, and now you're looking to get yourself right back into baseball sports medicine. It's kind of a cool story. You transitioned out of baseball into PT and now back into baseball. I guess you could look at it as almost like you never really transitioned out, but now you're bringing your skill set back. So that must be a cool experience. So what's the big goal for you? Absolutely. So, you know, for me, you know, it's looking to combine my, my on-field experiences that I've had as a player. I've been blessed to, to have played at a high level and, and, for four years uh, of playing at Adelphi and essentially integrate them with what I'm learning in, in PT school to to help the next generation, to help the kids that are out there now, to help the guys that are uh, you know going to be the future stars in the MLB. It's always, for me, it's always been getting, looking for ways to get back into the game. You know, like you said, it, it was really hard leaving baseball because everything you do 12 years old and, and, and onward is was, was geared towards towards college. So every every test you study for, there was always that goal, hey, I got to study for this so that, you know, keep my grades high, gives me a better chance to play in college. And everything I did, every workout I went to, every practice I did was geared towards baseball. And then, you know, one day I they they tell you you can't play anymore, you know, after four years at a university. And, and that it is it is a little heartbreaking. So for me, it's, I tried to stay in the game through coaching. And I, I continue to do that. But if I could, you know, incorporate my passion for baseball and exercise science and rehab and helping others and kind of paying it forward for, for what others did for me in my career when I was banged up, you know, that's the dream for me. So that, that's kind of where I want to head with my career. Well, you're on your way, my friend. And I know you're looking to get clinical experience with a professional baseball organization, hopefully at a spring training facility in, in Florida or Arizona for that matter. And so if there are any teams out there looking for physical therapy students, you know, we'll definitely hopefully have Stony Brook University connect with them to set up a contract that would be absolutely great for you. Physical therapy is growing exponentially in the world alongside the already established athletic trainers in baseball. And so I'm rooting for you, my friend. I know you're going to do it. And I'll leave you with this thought and everybody out there with this thought. In terms of transitioning out of maybe a hobby or a goal, maybe a physical activity or a sport such as you know being a baseball player, younger in our life, it really never, we never fully transition out of it. And I've learned that when I was a rehab coordinator with the Cardinals, I was still out there throwing the ball with my players. I was rehabbing. I was able to live some amazing experiences on the game. So they tell you that you never can, you can't play anymore, maybe collegiately or professionally, but the game is always going to be a part of you. Whatever your game is, if your game is music, if your game is art, whatever your game is, it'll always be a part of you. And I think just like the backdrop of this podcast is injuries, the real mission here is to empower people to overcome their challenges through the adversities that they that they go through to help transform them and propel them forward. So you can turn that negative thing like you not getting into Harvard. Well, maybe if you didn't, maybe if you went to Harvard, you studied business and you didn't even go to physical therapy school. So there's the silver lining. I know you're doing great things. Rob Vanny, he's a laser focused 
physical therapy student, former player, catcher, went to some one of the best schools probably in the country in terms of high school at Chaminade. And so Rob, keep doing your thing. We're going to keep sharing your story, share it with your community. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast and let's stay in touch, my friend. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks everybody for listening. And I look forward to continuing the rally here, getting amazing guests talking about their dreams and talking about the physical adversities and challenges they've gone through and beyond that. And so have a great rest of your day.